Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 44, which corresponds with the week of October 16, 2023. This week, we talk about emulsifiers. We do a mini literature review, as well as a piece on power struggles. What do we know about emulsifiers? So from the Food and Drug Administration, there are thousands of ingredients used to make foods. The Food and Drug Administration maintains a list of over 3,000 ingredients in its database. Everything added to food in the United States, many of which we have at home every day. Sugar, baking soda, salt, vanilla, yeast, spices, and colors. So if you want to go look more at what's where, go to the FDA website that lists what's in emulsifiers or what foods are emulsifiers in. The definition literally is molecules or chemicals that help maintain a food's even texture of two or more non-mixable foods such as oil and water. Food emulsifiers are created by chemical reactions of edible fatty acids taken from animal or vegetable sources with polyols like sorbitol. Further processing occurs to change the properties to make a specific taste or consistency. Emulsifiers are commonly used as a food additive by the United States food industry with a designed purpose to increase the smooth texture and palatability of processed foods, and now ultra-processed foods. They have been in use for a long time and come in natural and synthetic versions. In one study, it was found that 58% of the calories consumed by the 9,317 people in the study population consumed ultra-processed foods, which include many emulsifiers. That came to us from a study of Martinez, Steele, et al. in 2020. However, that number mirrors on the very low end what I see in clinic. Processed foods and ultra-processed foods tend to make up the majority of the foods that my patients consume, sadly. When I think of processed foods and emulsifiers, I think of peanut butter as an example. Natural peanut butter that sits on the shelf separates and has an oil layer on top of uh, what is look what you see of as your typical thick peanut butter. Whereas the modern commercial brands never separate. They stay in this beautiful, lovely, creamy mixture. And it's the emulsifiers that hold that peanut butter into, the, into its place. Take Jif, for example. It contains hydrogenated oils as an emulsifier. As these oils maintain consistency at room temperature. However, these oils are well known to be unhealthy in volume. As always, the advancement of food technology comes with a benefit and a potential cost. The benefit is clear, mouthfeel and palatability, which encourage sales and consumption, which is great for the corporate bottom line and human taste preference. The cost is unstudied in humans to a known degree, thus is considered by the FDA generally recognized as safe. However, we have animal translational models that are now causing concern. In a nature study by Dr. Chasang, C-H-A-S-S-A-I-N-G, and colleagues, we see a data set raising a legitimate concern regarding synthetic emulsifiers. Let us look at the title. Dietary emulsifiers impact the mouse gut microbiota promoting colitis and metabolic syndrome. Reading the abstract will help us see the mechanism that could underline a human risk. Quote, the intestinal tract is inhabited by a large and diverse community of microbes collectively referred to as the gut microbiota. While the gut microbiota provides important benefits to its host, especially in metabolism and immune development, disturbance of the gut microbiota-host relationship is associated with numerous chronic inflammatory diseases, including inflammatory bowel disease and a group of obesity-associated diseases collectively referred to as metabolic syndrome. 
A primary means by which the intestine is protected from its microbiota is a multi-layered mucus structure that cover the intestinal surface, thereby allowing the vast majority of the gut microbiota to be kept safe distance from the epithelial cells that line the intestine. Thus, agents that disrupt mucus bacterial interactions might have the potential to promote diseases associated with gut inflammation. Consequently, it is hypothesized that emulsifiers, detergent-like molecules that are ubiquitous component of processed foods and that can increase bacterial translocation across epithelia in vitro, might be promoting the increase in inflammatory bowel disease observed since the mid-20th century. Here we report that in mice, relatively low concentrations of two commonly used emulsifiers, namely carboxymethylcellulose and polysorbate 80, induced low-grade inflammation and obesity metabolic syndrome in wild-type hosts and promoted robust colitis in mice predisposed to this disorder. Emulsifier-induced metabolic syndrome was associated with microbiota encroachment, altered species composition, and increased pro-inflammatory potential. Use of germ-free mice and fecal transplants indicated that such changes in microbiota were necessary and sufficient for both low-grade inflammation and metabolic syndrome. These results support an emerging concept that perturbed host microbiota interactions resulting in low-grade inflammation can promote adiposity and is associated with metabolic effects. Moreover, they suggest that the broad use of emulsifying agents might be contributing to an increased societal incidence of obesity, metabolic syndrome, and other chronic inflammatory diseases, end quote. And again, that comes just from chasing C-H-A-I-S-S-A-I-N-G B et al. in 2015 from the journal Nature. All right, let me break this down a little. This is an animal model study that gives us a mechanistic risk in mammals that could be driving part of human issues with rising rates of metabolic syndrome and inflammatory bowel diseases. The loss of the protective mucus layer is a critical early step in intestinal cellular damage and then the progression to a permeable gut and food immune interactions that promote intestinal inflammation and human disease, including food allergies. Based on animal studies and models, here we are seeing mechanisms of how emulsifiers induce intestinal inflammation directly, cause and effect. The promotion of intestinal microbes that drive inflammation, alteration of mucus function and development, tight junction permeability, activation of cytokines that cause inflammation and alteration in cell function and enterocytes. So we have clinical mechanistic understanding in animal models of what actually is happening at the gut layer that is very concerning. To me, though, this is only a piece of the web of risk and disease. The fatty acids and chemical emulsifiers are part of a complex process of intestinal immune dysregulation that leads to a myriad of inflammatory disease states, including poor responses to viral infections like COVID, as Dr. Fasano's work has associated. These studies listed below are not proof of cause and effect in humans so much as they are mechanisms of possible risk if we consume newer technology-altered processed foods without knowing the mechanisms of safety, especially at the volumes that we are getting them at. Let us now look at the limited data in humans. In a study from Frontiers of Microbiology by Dr. Elman, E-L-M-A-N, and colleagues, we see 20 human subjects' microbiomes tested against the use of emulsifiers. They analyzed the effect of five different emulsifiers, glyceromonoacetate, glyceromonosterate, glyceromonoleate, propylene glycol monosterate, 
and sodium sterol lactylate on fecal microbiota. Sodium sterol lactylate, or SSL, significantly reduced concentrations of butyrate and increased concentrations of propionate compared to controls. The presence of SSL increased lipopolysaccharide in cultured communities. Lipopolysaccharide is a major inflammation-inducing molecule, otherwise known as a damp. The immune system sees it as a danger signal, i.e. prepared to fight and inflame. This study is small but shows a strong change in the metabolome and quality of microbes present of the human's gut after exposure to these emulsifiers. These changes are noted to be associated with increased inflammation in the GI tract. LPS, or lipopolysaccharide, is a bacterial cell wall byproduct that is uber-stimulating in a negative way to the immune system when chronically exposed and can lead to a state that Patrice Connie calls low-level endotoxemia. Especially over time, you are slowly degrading the mucus lining and exposing the intestinal cells to bacteria and their byproducts, which stimulates local inflammation, leading to many different immune-mediated disease cell types, including autoimmune and allergic types. That comes to us from the journal Frontiers in Microbiology in 2020. So Dr. Chasing's group also looked at emulsifier, the one called CMC or carboemethylcellulose in the human gut and found that the microbiome diversity was worsened. There were reduced short-chain fatty acids and increases in gut inflammation. One of the authors on these papers is the podcast guest, Dr. Lindsay Albenberg, from episode number 24. Listen to her podcast, and you will get a deeper appreciation for this topic and the reality of inflammatory disease and why I personally would encourage people to not consume emulsifier-based foods. In the 2021 paper in Microbiome by Naimi and colleagues, we noticed a reinforcement of the strength of the data against CMC and polysorbate 80. These are all clearly defining and driving towards intestinal inflammation. The Naimi paper was published in Microbiome, the journal. The second chasing paper was published in Journal of Gastroenterology. There are more big projects underway to answer the question. From Halmos et al. 2019, we have, quote, Emerging in vitro and animal evidence suggests that food additives such as emulsifiers may contribute to gut and metabolic disease development through alterations to the gut microbiota intestinal mucus layer, increased bacterial translocation associated inflammatory responses, the MECNUT emulsifier project, spelled M-E-C-N-U-T, emulsifier project aims to further explore the mechanistic base, basis for the relationship between wide, the wide range of permitted dietary emulsifiers and detergents that are used in vitro. As part of this world work project package, the FAD diets Study aims to determine the impact of soy lecithin, or excuse me, soy lecithin, on gut and metabolic health in vivo using the controlled dietary intervention. This growing area of nutritional science may lead to innovative knowledge, which could then pave the way for addressing gut and metabolic health via implementing dietary guidelines directed at food additives. End quote. So. We're left at the end of this piece with you as a consumer having to choose a path forward based on the data that exists and not just blind faith in the regulatory agencies that may or may not be doing their job. In my estimation, the answer is more the latter. Chemical-based emulsifiers and common household products are also of concern. 
I highly encourage you to visit the Environmental Working Group's website, ewg.org. There's a link in the newsletter. And start learning more about these products and where they're found so you can help mitigate risk inside your own body. For me, eating all natural whenever possible is the most important and avoid unnatural products everywhere you can. Part two, the mini literature review. So the first piece here from Sodi M. et al. in 2023, S-O-D-H-I, is as follows. The GLP-1 agonists, known as semiglutide and liraglutide, that I've written about recently in the past, are drugs for, that are being used for weight loss and diabetes amelioration. Dr. Peter Atia made excellent points in his recent review on this topic regarding the fallacy of weight loss that is primarily being shown to be performed through the loss of lean muscle mass as well as fat mass. And losing lean muscle mass is not good. Now we have significant GI risks associated with them, according to this new study by Sodium et al. and JAMA. The authors noted the following risks, pancreatitis, bowel obstruction, and gastroparesis in the study group that took these medicines. For me, these are serious problems. I highly encourage folks to read the study for more details. Please be informed before placing your child or yourself on these new miracle weight loss medicines, the GLP-1 agonists. Number two, playing football increased the risk of later Alzheimer's disease. The study noted increased time playing was associated with the worst disease risk over time. Bruce H. et al., 2023. This is not surprising as sports or even events that increase repetitive head trauma are known to cause dementia risk to rise in susceptible individuals. Think of dementia pugilistica with boxers. These cumulative studies make recommending sports for children tricky, but as always, this is the data and you, the parent, needs to make the decision. The journal article was in JAMA Neurology. Number three, T regulatory cells are associated with mood function in humans. In a mouse study in PNAS Nexus, PNAS Nexus, by Yang et al. in 2023, we see inflammasomes, which are known to be upregulated with fructose and refined carbohydrate ingestion, drive a downregulation of FOXP3 activity, lowering immune dampening T regulatory cell function activity. The net effect is to increase brain inflammation and worsen depressive and anxious symptoms. Interestingly, NLRP3 inflammasome knockout mice were resistant to further damage, furthering the idea that uric acid is at the center of the problem. So, those who've been following this podcast for a while know that uric acid and NLRP3 inflammasomes keep popping up at the center of many things. We keep learning how critical immune health is for human health and specifically mental health. Inflammasomes are seriously activated by fructose ingestion in high volume, especially beverages with high fructose corn syrup that don't have the benefit of fiber or anything else in food to slow down absorption and prevent the onslaught that goes through the portal vein to the liver. Another link made between the standard American diet eating patterns and poor mental health in the U.S. They just keep stacking up. Section 3, the courage to be disliked a little more. On page 84 to 86, we see an interchange between the philosopher and the youth about challenge and revenge in relationship. The philosopher teaches that individuals have the power to choose their reactions to external events. By understanding this, the youth can realize that one has control over their lives and cannot take, excuse me, and can take responsibility for their actions in all things and at all times. In the specific section entitled From Power Struggle to Revenge, we see an example of this reality in action. The interchange goes as follows. 
The youth basically states that the past occurred and invariably has to affect the present, i.e., we live in context of the past affecting the now. What about experience in the present, where one gets angry? The philosopher states that in actuality, anger in relationship is a way to get another person in relationship to submit to you and your beliefs, nothing more. You always have the opportunity to not fall prey to the drama of the power struggle. You can not engage. Think of as a child or a teen who screams and acts out to gain attention. You, the parent, in the relationship have the ability to watch, observe, and not react. The child will have to up the ante to gain your reaction or give up when none arises. The power struggle will diffuse when there is no engagement. However, if you allow your past to impose a change in your decision and engage the power struggle, you invariably begin a back and forth that can lead to escalating retaliation. This could show up as a teenager who rebels with risk-taking behavior, worsening verbal abuse, self-harm, etc. These actions will make a parent upset, fulfilling the power struggle victory for the child. The key is to extricate yourself from the struggle by not engaging in the first place. Offer love, respect, and guidance while the child unwinds the power need and allows the love to creep in. Boundaries are key. It's a good book, folks. Give it a whirl. Okay, that's it for this week. Song of the Week is Learning to Fly by Tom Petty. And the free thought, quote, To be Jedi is to face the truth and choose. Give off light or darkness, Padawan. Be a candle or the night. End quote. Yoda. Love it. All right, y'all. Hug those kids. Have a beautiful day. And appreciate you. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. It is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. Absolutely does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship.